I believe that life is a quest, and we're all heroes on a journey of self-discovery. I'm on a mission to explore my potential, optimize my mind, body, and lifestyle, and master the game of life. Join me as I seek out some of the best guides and mentors on the planet, and unpack their brains for the magical weapons and roadmaps needed to help you reach your potential. My name is Ollie Herman Taylor, and I am a torchbearer. Today, I am joined by Dave Morrow. I'm going to give a quick bio on Dave. Uh, I met Dave at the end of November at a business event. Um, He's based in Montreal, and Dave is uh, a veteran of the Afghanistan war. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a former high school maths and science teacher. He was previously a furnace salesman, and most recently, he is an author. And Dave, I want to jump straight in here and first of all say thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, uh, thanks, Ollie. Really appreciate uh, you inviting me on. So you you are about to release a book. First of all, the book's called Nimble Warrior. Is is that correct? That's right. Yeah. And when's the book going to be available? Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be sent off to the publisher this week. Uh, so basically by Friday, I'm hoping uh, about a two to three week turnaround, and it'll be available uh, as an ebook and uh, as an actual hardcover or sorry paperback book uh, through Amazon and and uh, Apple iBooks. Fantastic. Uh, I've kind of pre-ordered my copy. Um, Knowing a little bit about you, having chatted to you, I'm very excited to kind of read the book, uh, to read Nimble Warrior. But my first question is, what is a Nimble Warrior? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. So I guess my inspiration to write the book came from my uh, injury that I got when I was uh, in Afghanistan in 2011. So basically, I had um, just a double herniation of my uh, of my low back. And that's kind of defined the last, I guess, eight years of, of my life in a way. I, I really didn't understand why I got hurt because I thought it was fit. And when I came home, you know, I was having all kinds of issues. Uh, there was a period there where I couldn't walk, couldn't pick up my new son. Um, it was just, it was all going downhill. So I, I really took it upon myself to figure out, okay, what the issues are. Basically, it came down to uh, what I, th- I thought it was relatively flexible as well, but I lacked a lot of mobility. And so what I had to do was just go down that rabbit hole and I had a science background. So some of the stuff made sense to me. I have a bit of anatomy background as well. It's just, I never applied it because I just thought push-ups, running and, and pull-ups would, would get me through. And so the nimble warrior essentially is, uh, it, it's kind of a, <laughs> I, uh, I attribute it to the, the term to my father, actually. He, uh, he would sarcastically call my mother nimble as a cat when she would have all kinds of problems getting up out of the chair and like up the stairs and grunt and groan. So um, that term kind of stuck with me. So but essentially... Just- yeah, essentially, it's uh, it's just uh, taking care of your tissue and being able to do a a, a set of exercises that I've deemed to to make you uh, the most nimble as possible, and maximum nimbleness, um, and it's geared for soldiers. So uh, most of us have things like you know really really stiff ankles, and uh, that usually translates into you know re- some shin splints down the road, knee pain, and then eventually low back pain, and then even neck pain. So the nimble nimbleness is basically the thing that's lacking with our subset of, uh, of, I guess, soldiers, especially in the infantry. So I just wanted to write a book to kind of I mean, address those nim- things. Nimble is not a word you come across often. Uh, and I love it. I love, <laughs> no. I love this, um, maximum nimbleness. Yeah. I think um, that's going to be a, a good concept. Mobility 
and kind of restoring range of motion in the body in the major joints is one of the kind of one of the key things that I I uh, teach clients when I work with clients and I think it's so essential for obviously service people for soldiers I have limited experience when it comes to that kind of world apart from maybe what we call in the UK tabbing like tactical advance to battle which is like I think rucking mm-hmm. uh, it's it may, maybe I don't know which term you use yeah um, yeah we're fr- we're familiar with those yeah yeah absolutely yeah and, and and as you said, I think that's that is incredibly hardcore on certain joints like knees, but ankles as well. So um, can you just expand for a moment, you know, for anybody who's wondering why the nimble part is important to them? Like, can you just expand on why loss of ankle mobility is a problem and can affect your back and your knees and other parts of the body? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like just to point out to your to your listeners, like I. Um, yeah, I'm a trainer and I have a lot of experience, but I'm, I'm not a physiotherapist or nor am I an osteopath or anything like that. But, you know, my, my self-study has basically allowed me to identify a few key things. And one of them is a lack of ankle mobility. And I, I attribute a lot of that knowledge to um, a guy named Kelly Starrett. So he wrote the Supple Leopard, which is basically like my go-to Bible for all this stuff. And um, yeah, he's a rock solid dude that basically laid out a few key things. And he's he's done a bunch of stuff with soldiers as well. And uh, one thing I identified with myself was my ankle mobility. And because uh, we rely on our ability to to walk from one area to another with a lot of heavy shit on our backs, those ankles and with all the runs as well, they can get super, super, super immobile. Uh, once you, you start lacking, lacking that, uh, you know, that ankle flexion, you know, there's certain things like just getting into a proper squat, start getting a lot harder. Uh, once you start you know, losing the ability to do some fundamental basic movements, then you're going to have to load things uh, like your quads a lot more when you're in that squat, that squat position, which puts a lot of sheer force on your knees. Um, and then case in point, like I've had bad knees up until a few years ago. Um, and it was, you know, it was solely because I had my glutes turned off essentially because I had stiff ankles because I was always using my quads in order to do a squat. So, um, you know, addressing that, that ankle issue kind of from the ground up is basically how I address um, things with my clients, especially because most of them are soldiers and uh, we usually work up the chain from there. So ankles all the way up to, you know, neck and head. Lovely. I love that integrated approach. Um, yeah. So is the book, is it primarily for soldiers, for service people? Is it something that could be applicable to kind of me, you know, the general public? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you mention it because obviously, you know, like family, friends right off the bat, they're going to be your your biggest supporters. Um, and so I've got a lot of those questions. Oh, can I use it? Well, I'll, absolutely. Because just because it, it's geared for and written for that community, for the soldier community, the police community, obviously we're all humans. We all have the same movement patterns. Uh, we all need to be nimble in our own respects. So, uh, you know, a lot of us have recurring issues, uh, you know, being a civilian now for the last few years, you know, the, the same things can occur uh, in the civilian population, especially due to sitting, you know, the, your, your hips now are completely turned off. They're, you know, they, they are in flexion all day. So all these other things, you know, they, uh, most civilians end up with back injuries, just like uh, myself without, you know, tabbing or rucking or anything like that, simply because they're, they're super, super, super weak. Um, so these things are applicable across the broad spectrum of humanity. It's kind of something that I think needs to be addressed on a, on a broad scale, uh, not just within the military community. So absolutely. Yeah. It's for, it's, the book is literally for everybody. 
Excellent. So, I mean, as soon as I've read my copy, I will um, I will send links to the book. And obviously, at the end of this, we'll cover places that people can find the book and find out more about you. Um, before we move on from the book, what you've powered this book out because I know it's a quality book, but it's a, it's been a short timeline because we met in November, and I think yeah. you've you've like locked yourself away and you have uh, <laughs> you've attacked writing a book. And um, I know that you're super motivated because you have a you have a powerful story and you have you know you're kind of on a mission i can see that you're a man on a mission uh, like two questions what was it like writing your first book was it was it painful was it easy and then what's the biggest thing you learned from from uh, being an author yeah uh, those are all awesome questions okay so let me address just like the i guess the man on a mission thing the motivation for this is really stemmed from my willingness to not or my fear of being average so we went over this in in Spain in the conference we're at, and we addressed our biggest fears. And I said, "It's I'm pretty sure it's being average. It just it, it it's one of those things that I don't want to lead an average life, and I want to be able to contribute and help as many human beings as possible. And hence the reason why I got into teaching in the first place. So that's kind of my my natural instinct. Uh, part of you know my job in Afghanistan was building a a, a more stable area of operation that I was working in. So that kind of led to this idea where, you know what, I think I can share what's in my brain right now. And I love writing. I finished my master's degree uh, this past year. Turns out I never thought I was an academic, but turns out I, I actually really enjoy the whole research and uh, process and then writing up what I uh, what I have to say. And I'm half decent at it, at least from the feedback I've gotten. So once I got to Spain, it was funny. It was, I think it was Ben Coomer. He's like, okay, dude, he's like, you need to write a book. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're not the first guy to say that. So enough people have mentioned, you know, Dave, you should really write a book. I think you should really take a crack at it. So yeah, like you said, I, I kind of, you know, squirreled myself away like in, in my office in the basement and just started uh, typing away. You know what? I, I actually really enjoy writing. So it makes the process a lot easier for me. Uh, and it's something I'm really kind of passionate about. So, and, and to be honest, the, the book itself uh, isn't my original idea for a book, but it's kind of like my first foray into being an author. And it's really from, uh, it's really client driven. Um, so uh, during seminars, I would ask, okay, out of the lessons that I've done, which one uh, was the one you'd like to learn more about? And overwhelmingly, it was, you know, for this this type of knowledge. So, you know, becoming more nimble, so to speak. So I said, okay, well, I might as well, uh, I might as well go down that path and explore it a little bit more. And that's, that was the birth of the book. I love that what you just said there, because you're fairly new to being a business owner. I think, yeah, I'm right in yes. saying inherently, you are being customer centric. Uh, and, you know, by that, I mean, that you are, rather than taking your ideas and your knowledge, um, and imposing them on people and giving people what you think they want you are reverse engineering it so you're actually asking people what what they're missing what they're struggling with what are the painful problems and we call that being um kind of story-based marketing and treating your your customer as the hero uh, and so mm -hmm. I, lo I love the fact that you're kind of naturally doing that so many other business owners and marketers and kind of entrepreneurs just get it back to front and they they come across something and they have a message they want to share and they want to kind of ram it down people's throats. Uh, so I think it's awesome that you are finding out what people want and then you're filling that gap. I, I'm really interested to go back a, a few minutes to like not being average. You know, this is something that I've definitely picked up from you and you've just obviously expanded on it there. 
what does being average mean to you? Like, so you have a fear of being average, but what, what is average? Like, can you describe that to me? Yeah, I think in a nutshell, it's here in Canada, we have this thing called like Freedom 55. So you get these ads where like you can retire at 55. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of nonsense, but I, I see it. And for, it's been, in, it's not, it hasn't just been in the last few years. It's been, uh, you know, probably the last decade or so, even in my 20s. I just never understood why we had this concept that we had to just live a normal average life and then just, okay, retirement, here we go. Now we start to live. And that's kind of stuck with me. And I said, why would anybody want to do that? It doesn't make any sense. I want to live now. I'm 20. I'm full of energy. Like I got no money, but it doesn't matter. Like I can have any adventure I want and I'm fit. So for me, that was kind of the start of, you know, not being average because average here is, Okay, you know, work your shitty job for 30 something years and then, okay, now it's time to live life. I don't know. I don't see that as, as something that's uh, fruitful. Um, I don't see that as something that would make me feel fulfilled. So basically it comes down to wanting to get as much done as possible in a short time frame that I'm actually here on earth. And yeah, I, I just don't see myself in my sixties being nearly as influential than if I started my twenties and my thirties. So I guess that's the, the average part of, you know, not being want to be average is basically, I don't want to follow the conventional, I guess, uh, flow of life here in North America, which is, you know, eat, sleep, work, repeat, retire, then freaking die at like 74. I just, it, that, that, that scares me more than anything else. So I kind of just want to leave a legacy, uh, especially to my uh, to my son. And I just found out yesterday that I'm having uh, another uh, baby boy in August. So uh, to my sons uh, in the future. Congratulations! That's awesome news. That's yeah. amazing. Is this Thank the first you. time you've told anyone? Is it? Is this? Uh, is this a- well, I, no. The fam- the family knows. Yeah, the family knows. And I, whenever you, whenever you publish this podcast, yeah, it'll be the first time uh, widely disseminated to the rest of the world. So yeah, so uh, you're you're definitely the first um, Brit I've told. So there you go. <laughs> I, I feel very privileged and i just want to say congratulations <laughs> to you and, and your wife that's that's amazing news um i love that it's very much like tim ferris's definition of the kind of deferred life plan is that you you know you waste the best years of your life doing something you probably don't like very much and <laughs> you defer life so that you can live when you've retired and you know by then you probably don't want to or, or have enough energy left uh, and yeah. That, yeah that resonates with me a lot one of my core values is like is freedom you know, freedom of mind, body, location, time, and kind of financial resources. And I think that that fits in very much with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned Tim Ferriss. That was a book I read uh, a year ago. And it's kind of like, there's like an energy in the universe and some things kind of find you once you're kind of, you're vibrating at a certain frequency. And that book just reaffirmed everything that I was thinking. I was like, Oh, I was like, there's actually other people that think like this. Like I'm not just on an <laughs> island by myself and there's like a whole community. Of people. I'm not, and so that just opened up the floodgates. His book was freaking awesome. So his book and a whole bunch of others just kind of opened up, you know, just my, my mindset to something that could be different, you know? And, and so it's been a real journey. Like it's honestly been about a year now that I really got on the path of, um, changing how I looked at life and, uh, just started taking the steps in order to do so. And so, yeah, it's been about a year that, that, uh, that's been the case. And that's, that's the reason why I'm, you know, sitting here talking to you, uh, on the other side of the ocean for a podcast. So other, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't, this wouldn't be the case, you know, like I'd be, you know, I'd be at work teaching right now. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the, that's the power of just, you know, changing your mindset. It's, it's, it's incredible.
That's exciting. I think that's really, really exciting to know that you can make changes in your life and you can start to create something that you actually want, a life that you actually want and change direction. And for me, I'm 42 and I think you're maybe in your mid, late 30s. 37, yeah. Okay, yeah. And uh, and I think that we come into a sort of bit of a maturity around kind of the 40s. Uh, and, you know, I think it gets harder to start again and reinvent yourself. But I think that, you know, you have the experience to kind of put in and maybe fast track it once you make the decision. So I've only met a handful of Canadians. <laughs> but one thing strikes me that there's one thing I've noticed that they all have in common, and they're all funny. <laughs> I clearly haven't met enough of us. That's okay, the- okay. So I wanted to ask you: Is everyone in Canada funny? <laughs> I don't think so. No, absolutely not. <laughs> but I, you know what? It, 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 I guess if you're going to meet a Canadian, odds are it's going to be because they're traveling to see you in your home country, and probably not the other way around. So the ones, just like I guess anybody that goes out and travels probably has an outgoing personality already and is probably yeah it's probably a pretty chill cat so uh, one thing i do have to say is that it's it's hard to find a, a really i guess uptight canadian i think we're pretty pretty laid back i think it's it's the cold that just like beats us down and requires us to be kind of laid back and chill and like roll the punches like right now it's just a disaster outside so yeah i think that <laughs> i think that chillness that chill part is is part of who we are I was going to ask you about the weather because this morning in the UK, it was minus 3.5 degrees Celsius. And it's like, shut the country down, shut it down. Yeah, it is. It's because it's cold. <laughs> and literally, the, the country does kind of shut down. If you add a little bit of snow to the mix, it actually shuts down. Uh, I'm not, and I'm not joking. I'm, I'm not actually joking. It does. We can't cope with it. And we think this is severe winter weather. Uh, you know, you, you said it's, it's horrific outside at the moment in Montreal. What, what's it like? What's the temperature like? Well, okay. So we had a just, like a shit ton of snow in the last two days well montreal style i mean like we had about 20 centimeters ish of snow it just wouldn't stop snowing and uh, now thanks to the climate change uh, problem we have going on it's pissing rain so uh for the last few days it was like minus 35 with the wind chill and uh then it snowed and then now it's just pissing rain so we've got lakes all over the place and then it's going to go back down to around minus 17 minus 18 in another day or so so the the shifting weather is just so brutal these days like you can't you can't predict anything and then we have floods and we never used to have that so that's that's kind of the this shift i've seen since i've been a kid anyway so that's why winters here are just freaking brutal yeah, it sounds brutal. It's like 10 times what it was this morning outside, minus 35 with the wind chill. It's, uh, it sounds properly hardcore. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> so so you, you have a military background, obviously. Um, yeah. You know, it's in your bio. Um, it's behind the book, behind the Nimble Warrior book. You know, c- can you just tell us really, really quickly, you know, what sort of part of the services were you in? Um, when were you in? And um, what was your role in the, in the army? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was a I was an infantry soldier in the uh, Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, I was a reservist, so I guess that's uh, similar to your TA uh, back home. And so I did that for about fifteen years. And uh, in two thousand ten, 
I uh, volunteered to deploy to Afghanistan uh, with the last battle group we had actually of Canadians fighting in the Panjway. So that meant uh, I, I got a really good job. Actually, I was a sergeant at the time. I ended up getting a job uh, that, that we call CIMIC. So that's civilian military cooperation. So we do a special course and essentially we uh, liaise between the military and the civilian population. And uh, the cool part about the job is that you operate solo. So you basically carry like a huge backpack full of cash and you get to go into the villages and be like, Hey dude, uh, you want to do school? Cool. Stop shooting at us. Here's the money. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm bastardizing uh, the whole process, but essentially that's what it comes down to. And so I had a really great tour. Like I was, uh, embedded with an American unit. Uh, so shout out to the 10th mountain 171 Cav. Yeah. They, uh, they're, yeah, they're my brothers over there. Like we, uh, we worked really well together and, uh, we really, uh, had a kind of a lasting influence on the, on our area of operations. So, um, you know, and, and leading up to going to Afghanistan, I mean, just the amount of leadership, uh, roles that I had and just anybody gets when you move up through the ranks, it's just incredible. You know, like we got to do the Cambrian patrol over in Wales, the Brecon beacons, which was just freaking brutal. Um, you know, I did, um, ceremonial duties. So my regiment, uh, is the Canadian Grandier guards actually. So we're modeled directly after the Grandier guards. And, uh, so we've done exchanges, um, with each other. And so we have the same uniforms and everything like that. So we did a lot of, you know, household duties and, and, uh, uh, we did, uh, in Ottawa, we have the, uh, the changing of the guard, which is modeled again after, after your changing of the guard. And, uh, so I did that for a few summers as well. And, you know, that, uh, all that to say, like, it just really built my leadership style really, really, really well. And, uh, you know, made me realize I, I like teaching. Uh, I like instructing. I like having a team. I like seeing the team fulfill a mission. And Afghanistan was kind of the culmination of all of that. And uh, so, you know, we had a really successful tour. We got a lot of stuff done. And when I came home, uh, I was obviously injured, but uh, like I, I was kind of lost. So I didn't really know what to do from there. But leading up to Afghanistan, I got my uh, teaching, uh, degree certificate. And I got my science degree as well. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll fall back into teaching. Right. And so, you know, like all the experiences kind of led to where I am today. And that's why I was a teacher for the last uh, six years. Cause I was teaching high school, uh, science and math and coaching football and rugby, oh, it's not rugby football and, uh, and track and field and all those different things. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of like the military experience in a nutshell, I guess. Uh, you know, not, not to mention like all the other, like, shenanigans that uh, infantry guys uh you know get themselves into along the way um that uh you know i had uh, many a conversation with rich rollington about so i'm sure i mean um can you boil down you know 15 years of kind of service at plus going to afghanistan can you can you boil it down to uh, a lesson that you could give to the, the audience i i i want to reach with my podcast i sort of uh, i talked work with on a regular basis uh business owners and entrepreneurs, people who are kind of motivated. And is there a lesson you can take away, you know, personally from your military experience that you you could call the biggest lesson, something that is really defining for you, your character, your life? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, uh, so this is what I tend to, I used to be a recruiting officer. And, and even there's uh, some students of mine that decided to join when I was teaching uh, my regiment. And so they'd ask, so, do you have any uh, advice, sir? And I said, yep, learn to eat soup with a fork. 
And so that's kind of like the Tao of Dave, like for the army. So essentially learn how to make do with things like and tools that are not going to really help you all that much in achieving your mission. So essentially like the, the motto is uh, adapt and overcome. That's like the official term uh, that the, uh, that the infantry uses to basically say like, yeah, look, we know we don't have anything for you to actually get this done, but you're just going to have to figure it out. So I think that would be the, uh, the biggest lesson learned is just, you know, when you have a mission to get done, you got to get it done at all costs, figure it out. So that, that alone is kind of, that, that is so valuable, especially now being an entrepreneur. I think that's why transitioning veterans uh, are well suited for the entrepreneurship role because figuring out and uh, things that don't necessarily have a, a solution that's predefined. You have the ability to just like figure out a new way of, of getting something done. It may not be conventional, but you get it done regardless. Which is, you know, I mean, that's business in a nutshell, kind of, you know, figuring figuring things out. And right. I think it's, um, you know, I love that. I love the fact that you've kind of personalized the lesson into learn to eat soup with a fork. And I think it's, <laughs> yeah. it's very relevant to today's world because of the digital world and the kind of social media landscape. I think there is a huge sense of entitlement out there amongst people who we look at, we look in this kind of weird goldfish bowl at other people who are successful and are entrepreneurs, which is a word that's thrown around a lot at the moment. And, um, you know, people, people, I think they feel entitled. If they set up a business, they feel entitled that it should work, you know, that uh, they should be successful. They should make a lot of money. People should listen to them. People should want to come and work with them. And, I think a lot of people nowadays are under-equipped to actually like weather the storm of actually the reality of setting up a business and the fact that it's difficult and takes a long time and actually there are there are lots of setbacks along the way. So I love that kind of improvise and adapt kind of mindset and 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 lesson. For someone who's like never experienced like me, for someone who's never experienced, you know, a, a war zone or been to somewhere like Afghanistan when there's an active war on, how do you control your mindset? Um, how do you control your mind to keep a lid on the fact that you're in a stressful situation? I presume at times, you know, extremely stressful. You know, what techniques, tools or exercises did you use, if any, to just keep yourself kind of centered and handle those sort of levels of stress? Yeah, that's a great question. I went into the war because, well, I, I volunteered. Uh, so I I made sure that I kind of made myself have a bulletproof mind, so to speak. I uh, did some research. I made sure that I, uh, first of all, uh, wrote down and journaled uh, before leaving. So I started that habit as a way to kind of get out the things that are kind of, you know, ping ponging around in my head. So that was very useful. And uh, I still uh, journal today as well. So I'd have to say that's that's one of the pivotal ones because it allows you to kind of concretize your thoughts and, and get them out on paper. So that was huge. The next would be um, just exercise. You know, every time we got a chance, you know, if we're not uh, patrolling that day, it would be, you know, a, some sort of hard workout. You know, whether uh, we didn't have really anywhere to run, but, you know, we had weights and that's when I kind of got into CrossFit. So you know, just being able to, to, you know, train hard enough to take your mind off of something was really effective. And, um, yeah, I would say also like I had kind of a ritual where before I would uh, go out on patrol, I would always, um, I would always call who's now my wife. I would always call her, um, the day before. And that would kind of just bring a sense, sense of calm. And I had just, uh, I had kind of like a, a before patrol song that I would play to kind of get my head in the head in the game. And then when I came back, I also had like a, 
like another way to bring myself down because your central nervous system, like you're just jacked up, right? You're, you're constantly on alert, you know, for hours and hours and hours and you come home uh, or home, or you come back to your, your base and now you got to find a way to decompress. So these are all things that I actually, I, I researched and I learned before I left. Um, and it, it really, it really helped out. Like I, like I still do a lot of things that I establish as a routine, um, especially the, the, the music is Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam brings me up and brings me down. So, uh, yeah. So I, I used to listen to, uh, do the evolution before going out. That would really fire me up. And then I listened to, uh, yellow lead better, um, when I got home. So, uh, yeah, those are like the, the two that I kind of bracketed my, my stressful moments. And so when I, when I listen to them now, like that, it's weird, eh? Like how music can have such an effect and kind of bring you back to like certain moments. And, uh, yeah. So I would say, yeah, just those big three. So journaling, uh, you know, strenuous exercise and, um, then having like a, a set routine, usually with music before and after a, like a, a defined stressful. And do you think that, um, do you think business owners, do you think entrepreneurs, you know, senior executives can use, those three kind of principles, those three techniques. So the journaling is like processing emotions, feelings, thoughts, and actually kind of working through what you're dealing with. The hardcore exercise is obviously, you know, fitness, taking your mind off it, releasing stress. Uh, and then the kind of like uh, the musical outlet, the kind of routine. Do you think entrepreneurs and business owners can apply those to kind of performing better in business and building kind of mental toughness and, and resilience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't need to be in a war zone to, you know, be under stress. Uh, and, you know, I, I've, I've often been asked like, Oh, like, you know, was it stressful when you were over there? It was, but I'll be honest, I get a lot more stressed out and more anxiety here than when I was over there. And it's not because I'm a hero. I'm not trying to, you know, make myself look like I'm some tough guy, but the difference is over there. It's, it's almost like black and white. I know when I'm going on patrol, I know what I have to do. There's really no kind of, you know, other uh, other than you know what could happen but that's expected you know like we could get attacked we, we could hit an ied etc but that is your job that's what you're going to do here the the, the stresses of everyday life they're they're compounded you have so many you have so many and i think for a lot of guys that's that's the that's the hardest thing you know just driving to the grocery store is a whole other level of stress. You know, you have people that don't know how to drive. Yeah, you just have people crossing the street when they're not supposed to. You know, it's it adds this complexity that if you don't have these kind of, I guess, these protocols in place, it makes coming down from those things, I guess, a lot harder. Um, so a lot of times for me, music is, a, is the key and, and, and exercise, um, you know, throughout the day, um, you know, I, I get at least two of the three done. And that seems to, to keep me level. So, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur, businessman, or just, you know, anybody, anybody, literally, if you can establish a habit of having at least two of those three, I would say that you're, you're going to be doing well and you're going to be, you're going to be able to sustain whatever you're doing much longer. And that's, that's something that I saw, especially as a teacher, the level of burnout is, is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, just in general, I think the level of burnout and just not being able to carry on with your day to day because you're just overwhelmed. I think, you know, the, the strategies or the protocols that, that I have have kept me at least able to keep on, you know, doing what I have to do day to day. I think that's really interesting. You know, rituals, routines and habits are very powerful for humans. Um, they're kind of hardwired into us and they help us kind of, uh, I think, access kind of some conscious, deeper structures in our brains. And, uh, and and so I think, you know, it seems like a very simple thing, but I think being able to have a routine that you follow 
or certain routines that you follow every day to cover the important things in life, whether it's nutrition, whether it's fitness, whether it's kind of building mental resilience, I think is a, is, is, is a fascinating area. And I know there's a lot of research into it. Do you believe in morning routines? And if so, do you have a, a morning routine? Oh, buddy, glad you brought it up. Do I ever? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if, if you guys have heard of uh, Jocko Willink over there. Uh, I think pretty much everybody on the planet has heard of Jocko Willink. Good, I'm like, nice. Anyways, that guy is um, is is part of my morning routine uh, simply because he's just badass. And I got turned on to him a few months ago, I guess, um, by one of my buddies. Like, oh, you should listen to this guy's podcast. And so as soon as I listened to it, I was like, yes. Now I'm not as crazy as him. I don't get up at four in the morning, um, but I do get up at five thirty in order to get in my morning flow. So I head down to the basement, you know, I get a big glass of water. That's my first step. And then I uh, head to the basement and then I usually put on, there's on YouTube, I just put on like one of his like six, seven minute uh, motivational speeches from his podcast, just about getting after it, you know? Um, And so, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And so then I do my morning flow and that takes about uh, 10 minutes or so. And, you know, it it really helps with my back health, helps with my mental health. It gives me control of that first part of the day, which is so crucial. So that is, you know, that's been, that's been pretty consistent now for, oh geez, a good four months in my life. So basically my transition out of my career from teaching to where I am now. I knew I was going to have to gain some control. So that morning routine has been really, really, really important to me. And additionally, once I'm done my kind of flow, uh, I usually head upstairs, uh, make myself a little espresso, and then I head back down and make sure that my, you know, my, my plan for the day is laid out. Usually I lay it out the night before, but I'll just check over a few things. And then I usually do creative work. Uh, for about an hour. So I'll, uh, you know, I'll start writing an article because I find my brain is kind of fired up, especially with that espresso in me. And that first hour is kind of like my golden hour. And then, yeah, then my son usually wakes up and I take him to daycare from there. So yeah, my morning routine is, man, it's, it's been a game changer. I, I wish I'd started it, you know, decades ago. So I would say morning routine is just, you, you got to have a morning routine. You can't just wake up, look at your phone and then start. I, I you know, that's kind of how I used to operate. And now that I've seen the difference, I just have so much more clarity and I'm not stressed because I know what I need to get done during the day. And I've, I've actually accomplished something, even if it's minor, you know, I, I do sit ups and push ups in the morning. So if I can't get a full workout in, I'm like, well, you know what? At least I did sit ups and push ups and did my flow. You're covering the bases. Yeah. I right. think that, you know, um, I, I think it's absolutely essential and it's such a simple thing having a morning routine, but you know, that, that attitude of getting up before, you know, I've got four kids and before the, mm. before the household is awake and having that personal time and space and not diving into the digital like the phone as you said is so important because mm-hmm. otherwise you're diving straight into kind of chaos and the, the kind of unmanageable chaos of social media and the rest of the world and emails and just fucking stuff coming at you mm-hmm. and and i think that you know like m- movement is absolute magic in the morning like movement is medicine in the morning just restoring full range of motion and mobility to all of the major joints in the body uh, and also just like basically taking control of the day so that you can kind of win the rest of the day. And um, I I know a lot of successful people I've studied, I've talked to, I've listened to have morning routines and like from the outside, if you don't have one, you can brush it off as being something that's sort of simple and unimportant, but 
you know, as you say, I found it to be a game changer. I followed a kind of morning routine for a couple of years now. And, you know, I'm not 100% kind of, you know, some days I just I just kind of sack it off. But it, it is it is a game changer. You, you've you met um, Jordan Peterson. Is that right? Uh, no, I haven't met him. No, I wish I wish I had met him. It's it's, it's one of the things that I, I want to do in the next year, hopefully, is to actually go see him in you know, live um, at one of his uh, talking events because he was massively influential as, uh, you know, as part of my, my shift out of my career to where I am now. From your teaching career? Right. Okay. How, how was he an influence um, in your kind of decision to move out of teaching and move into kind of being a business owner and a coach? Yeah, right. He, uh, you know, he, it was his YouTube videos that, again, it was a friend of mine who said, you know what, why don't you uh, check out uh, one of his videos on, I believe the first one was on, uh, you know, establishing purpose in your life. And a part of it was, you know, uh, looking at, you know, biblical studies and, and stories and stuff like that, 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 have, that, that root our kind of civilization. And I was watching, I'm like, man, I, again, it was, it was kind of like one of those Tim Ferriss moments. I was like, is people that think like this and this is normal. I'm like, Oh, sweet. Because I, you know, like for me, I was kind of wandering. Like I, you know, I, I grew up in a, you know, in a Protestant family. And I, I really had, you know, no interest in religion whatsoever. And um, I'm, I'm, I still don't consider myself religious. I don't, uh, you know, prescribe to or ascribe to any religion. Uh, but I do see the value in it providing purpose. And so it's kind of Jordan Peterson that, that made me kind of realize, you know what, like that purpose aspect, if you're missing that, you know, so you can endure any how as long as you have a why kind of thing. And I was like, oh, I was like, you know what? I think I've been missing this key component from leaving the army because I had that purpose. And like he was saying, is if, you, if you're missing that that purpose and that drive in that direction, it's going to be very hard to keep yourself grounded. And, you know, like I knew I was getting resentful, you know, and that, that whole resentful aspect of things that he kind of, he talks about was literally something I was going through at the moment. And, you know, I felt resentment towards my wife. I felt resentment to my family. I, I and I was just going down a path that I didn't want to go down. And he was there just like kind of at the right moment. And like I said, you know, that energy, you start to vibrate a certain energy and sometimes things like find you and you need to listen. And so then I, I read his um or listened to his 12 uh 12 rules for life and that was that was huge that was such a huge book for me to listen to at that moment that yet you know i i, I basically you know i i had a nice long sit down with my wife like we 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 started working through a lot of our our issues and uh it was just part of the process of you know you know part of leaving my career realizing that you know i i should be doing things that I, I should be passionate about um, defining where I want to go. And so he was just instrumental in, in all of that. And yeah, so that I'd love to just be able to you know sit in a conference room with him and, and, and listen to him live because I think he's got a very, a very valuable message. And especially for, you know, young men and, and men in general, um, I think it's something that's been lost in the last uh, few decades where, you know, uh, we don't really know, uh, you know, as men where we're going particularly. I think the army does a good job and and I think always will in establishing purpose. And that's why I think men and especially young men will always gravitate to the army at, in, in some aspect because it provides that as a structure immediately. And that was something I needed as well growing up as a kid. So uh, the fact that he's able to lay it out and, um, and, and make a, make a compelling, you know, story around it. I think that was, that was crucial into me being here right now. 
Yeah, 12 Rules is an, an, an epic book. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's a life-changing book, actually, and it's a deep, deep book. And, um, you know, one thing that's a game-changer for me from that book is the what I call the defeated lobster syndrome. I think yeah. the first rule about the serotonin levels and the impact of having failures, because I, I had a very successful business in my mid-20s. I built a seven-figure clothing company in my mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And then by my mid-30s, I was broke and fucking severely depressed and just... Uh, apathetic and very lost Mm -hmm. and i think now that one of the biggest things we are facing as a society but uh, you know and i'm I'm glad you brought up the man the masculine conversation i think a lot of men are are facing a crisis of meaning you know um a real absence of 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 meaning and purpose in life beyond making money career And, and i think it's a very interesting conversation and i think that there are a lot of pretenders out there who are sort of teaching people how to be men and more masculine and uh, and i think that's sort of scratching the surface but i think that there is there's a lot of exploration to be done into the mature masculine archetypes uh, and and what it actually means to be a mature kind of fully integrated man and i consider myself like at the sort of tip of the iceberg like first step on that journey but for me that's a personal kind of path i'm i'm trying to follow so you, you covered a lot of ground there and what you just said, you know, about um, Jordan Peterson and that kind of influence on you and your decision to leave teaching, your decision to kind of follow your passion and do something you care about, something that gives you a sense of purpose, something that gets you up in the morning. We met at a business event and the point of the business event was to try and sort of grow your businesses, essentially, particularly digital businesses, online businesses. What brought you to that uh, event? And, you know, I, I sense from our kind of conversations we had that you you'd put a lot on the line to basically fly across the world and attempt, attend a random event in Spain. And like, so what, what stage were you at with your business and your, you know, relationship with your wife and, and making that big, big change into business owner? Yeah. The big shift was, I guess, um, I was working at, I, I, I had two kind of big shifts in a very short period of time. I, I left my career to go work for a tech startup and, you know, I was, I was basically poached and, uh, you know, told I was going to have a, you know, a, a great job with, you know, all kinds of travel and we need your experience. So they paid me well. And, you know, I, I said, you know what, I, I cannot go back to teaching this coming year. Like it was during the summertime. I, I knew, I knew I couldn't, I, I just, the anxiety was there and it was just that I didn't want to be that grumpy, useless teacher, uh, that I think a lot of us have, have experienced growing up and I, I couldn't do it. So I got the offer and I, I, I jumped on it and that, that took a while to kind of, but that was not an easy decision, right? I, I left, you know, my pension, I left my benefits, I left all my like stability to go to this one company. And that's completely, you know, it, you don't know, right? I've never, I've never been in the private sector. So I made that jump. And within a few weeks, I realized, nope, this is a terrible fit for me. And I couldn't leave in the sense that, you know, I, I didn't have another job, but I immediately started looking for new things. And during that process, I was like, you know what? I should be doing more with my training business. Like I've already made the leap out of teaching. Why don't I just start working on my training business, which I've had for the last six years, just kind of on the back burner. And I got a message from, you know, James Moody that kind of changed things. It was like, Hey, like you're interested in doing a five day challenge on, you know, how to get your digital business up and running. It's like, I'm pretty sure Siri heard me. And like, it just like the wheels got set in motion. And then like, they're like auto generated email found me through the internets. And so anyways, I was like, yeah, sure. And from there it started to cascade. And I liked what was, um, 
you know, the, the content that uh, the guys at Remote Fit Pro had put together. And then I immediately made, you know, a connection with the individuals at Remote Fit Pro. Um, you know, guys like Rich Wellington, James Moody, George Crawshaw, like all those guys, like I just had a, I had a vibe. So I was like, okay, cool. And then, you know, I knew I was in their funnel. I'm like, yeah, give me more. So, you know, I, I went with their, you know, lead gen uh, program and their fitness university. So all these things just kind of led to the, the Spain conference. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, I think I need to go to this. And so I thought about it for a little while. And then, you know, I really had to think about for springing it on my wife. And, you know, like I'm a salesman, but I'm not that good of a salesman. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I was coming up with different you know, strategies and how to, you know, approach this and, and broach the topic to her that, you know, well, I'm going to be flying to Spain for a few days. And so the, the basically it came down to, you know, I feel that this is a moment in my life that I can have a serious impact uh, with my business. I need to get back into the tribe that keeps me, you know, motivated and healthy. And that is the, the essentially the military and like police community. And I don't want to spend an, a year or so figuring things out on my own and basically wasting all kinds of capital in the process when I can go and find out from the best and from a group of you know, like-minded individuals how to actually uh, put this put this business together efficiently. And since it's the only, I, I had no visibility on the, uh, you know this industry here. You know, it was the first, you guys, well, you guys, uh, Remote Fit Pro were the first guys to kind of pitch this to me. Uh, I was in that, I was in that head state that, you know, I'd rather pay and then not have to, you know, waste a year, maybe a year and a half of my time because, you know, we're not getting any younger. I'm getting close to 40. I want to make this happen now. And so that's how I pitched it to my wife. And, you know, she said, you know what, Dave, like if that's something that you're super, super passionate about. She's super supportive in it. And, you know, granted, I had to pick the, uh, pick the pace up at home a little bit, do a little bit more of the, the chores and make sure that the, you know, <laughs> the place is picked up better and went on a few extra dates. But, uh, aside from that, it was, it was kind of almost like a no brainer. And so that was kind of the, yeah, that was the start, I guess, of everything, because at the end of the day, I went in with a really positive feeling about it and it, exceeded my expectations and now i'm talking to you know you uh i'm in touch with everybody still basically from the from the conference it built a network that was so powerful and just the you know the, the fact that because of the conversations we had i wrote a book you know we're, i'm doing a podcast i've got you know a bunch of clients in my business you know wh- you know how how do you assign value to that so i'm so glad that i i went and and did that and it was just that mindset of like the, i have to do this now if i don't do it i'm going to regret regret it till the day I die. So I, you know, the, the finances will be there. That's basically what it comes down to. We can figure out the finances. Um, you know, so, and that was that granted though, talking about finances, we were in a bit of a pickle, you know, I, like I lost my job. We were doing renovations down in the basement. Um, and now I'm, I'm going to add, you know, a few thousand dollars to go to Spain, which seems to everybody like I'm going on vacation, but in the <laughs> end it worked out really well. The marketing branding business I, I run with a business partner is Anglo-Italian. So I'm based here in the UK. My business partner's based in Milan. And so I really regularly fly to Milan. And yeah, my wife every time is like, oh, it's all right. You know, you're going on another little trip. <laughs> yeah, another <laughs> little, yeah, another little it's vacation. Fun. It must be nice. must be nice. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Initially, though, part of the plan was uh, for my wife and son to actually come. I was like, well, why don't you guys come? You know, and then uh, Rich was really, uh, Rich Wellington was really 
supportive of the idea. It's like, oh, he's like, yeah, I'm going to be there with my wife and five kids. You can hang out. I'm like, that'd be great. But yeah, at the end of the day, it was just, it, it didn't pan out. But yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely part of the negotiation strategy was to, you know, get my wife to come to Spain and be like, oh, nice. Yeah, you can hang out on the beach. And, but uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, my, we had long days, right? Like we were doing like 15 hour days. It wasn't a vacation. It was hard work. So this is, um, you know, you, you strike me as a sort of an action taker because you've implemented a lot of things fast. And, you know, I see you as almost like being a surfer who's kind of got the paddle, the lineup right, and you paddled hard and you're catching the crest of this wave with the book and with the things you've implemented that you learned and then the kind of podcast interviews and the clients and the pipeline. I find it really interesting what you said about the fact that the the money will come because, you know, obviously you were not you were, you were in a financial kind of hole of some kind when you made that decision to spend money and invest in yourself and invest in your business and your family's kind of future. And that's an act of faith. Um, and I'm very interested in that because those are difficult conversations to have. I've had similar difficult conversations with you know my wife um, about investing money in myself when you, you can't point to the return on investment. You can't point to the, I'm going to spend a thousand pounds or dollars and it's going to make me two or three or four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's 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 like a leap of faith, but I think there are there are pivotal points in our lives where we have to make these commitments and just kind of leap on stuff, and and it, it feels to me that's very much kind of what you did, and I I can't wait to see where this wave goes. You know, I'm looking forward to reading the book. To take a step back, you came into the event and you you have implemented a lot of stuff and you've taken action and it's paying off, it's working, but you seem to have quite a lot of clarity about who you serve and your message and your mission within the kind of fitness industry. Is, is that, is that right? Yeah. Uh, I mean the military, uh, you know, veteran and, and police community is kind of the, that's the, the community that I really understand. Cause I, I come from it. Um, you know, the police side also being there because so many of my friends after leaving the military, they end up being police officers. Right. And so it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's, it's a really kind of, similar community in that sense and i feel very connected to it and i know how to to address you know the individuals in the community a lot better than let's say you know i i originally had an idea of actually tailoring my business to ceos and and like high-powered business owners but i don't know anybody that's a high-powered business owner I don't know those people. I wouldn't know how to market to them. I was just chasing a dollar at that point. And so once I, I had a realization that why am I trying to get away from my tribe, so to speak? And it was after reading, uh, I don't know if you uh, know Sebastian Jünger. Um, he's a really, uh, really, really famous um, journalist. And he wrote the book Tribe. Um, he also wrote a really good book called uh, War. And uh, so he just basically laid it out, you know, veterans coming home. A lot of times the issues that we have is because we get dissociated from our tribe and we're very isolated here in, in North America. And so I said, you know what, I, I need to get back into the tribe. I dissociated myself for, you know, for years because I was like, no, I need to become like normal and work in a school and, and get, you know, push all army stuff aside. And so, yeah, I developed this clarity that, you know what, if I'm going to, if I'm going to work with people, I'm going to work with the people that I know have the, these particular issues and I've had them myself and I can provide the most valuable value, value for these group of people because I've been there and I know what to do in order to get back in the game. So, you know, the, the comments I've gotten, the, the feedback I've got from my clients has been, 
so rewarding. It's just, you, I, you don't even, like, to me, it's surprising in a sense, um, because, you know, I, I just think I'm just doing what I do, but when you get, when you get a really good, um, you know, review or just, you know, really good feedback on what you're actually doing, it just, it just proof that what I'm doing actually has, you know, a, an impact on people's lives in the military and police and, and, and that community itself. Yeah, you're changing lives. You know, I mean, I, I think sometimes it's very difficult to see the wood for the trees in the sense that, um, you know, sometimes we 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 take for granted what we know and our areas of expertise or the areas that we are best suited to working in. And we kind of, uh, you know, we, we don't always see the importance of helping those kind of communities. I was just looking, I've got, I've got that book you mentioned, you know, um, the, the the tribe book by Sebastian mm-hmm. Jung on my shelf. And I was just like, I read it last year and it's an amazing book. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. And I love the fact that you've got the authenticity of, you know, you mentioned you wanted a target kind of high performing, probably high net worth CEOs and business mm-hmm. owners. They're a challenging market to work with because I've worked with a lot of those kinds of people. And um, some of them have been the worst clients I've worked with. (laughs) (laughs) And and that sounds like a really kind of bad thing to say in terms of like, uh, you know, marketing and and upsetting people. But it's absolutely true. You know, I I think um, there are certain biases that come with certain types of, you know, senior executive. uh, Mm -hmm. And sometimes they can feel that they're too busy and important to step into the kind of uh, health fitness fluffy soft stuff and uh i won't say too much about that but i think um you know i think it's fantastic that you've found a niche uh market that is actually totally authentic to you and people that you serve and, and i've heard you talk about a concept of being kind of hard to kill is that your concept yeah well i mean that that's uh you know after thinking about how do i you know what do i want to market you know what do i want to put to market as like my as my brand, as my, like my, my product there or my service that I'm going to put out there. And so I had a few ideas and it, it came finally down to hard to kill, uh, which is the, the mantra, I guess, that I, I, I use with my clients because it's more than just, you know, being strong. It's you know, having that mental toughness to get through. And it was partly inspired by uh, CrossFit. They have a bunch of different marketing stuff that says strong people are harder to kill. And so I, I, I borrowed that in the sense that, you know, strength is one thing, physical strength is one thing, but also, you know, being, uh, able to deal with, you know, your negative emotions and, uh, you know, the whole nimbleness thing is, is included in there as well. So what are the components that make you the single best, you know, human being to go out and, you know, protect other human beings that need your help, you know? So, you know, when you're talking about police officers, they do it literally every day, right? So, uh, the, the army, we go out and we do a mission and, you know, what's going to make you harder to kill than the other individual when shit hits the fan. And so it encompasses kind of all that. Um, and so I I thought that was a good way to kind of incorporate that whole message of, you know, that holistic kind of training where you you look at not just the the body, but also the mind as well. So that's kind of where that hard to kill uh, philosophy came from. Okay, so hard to kill is you know it's this concept that you know you need to have your mind game and your physical game, uh, you need to be on top of that, and so physical preparedness and fitness and kind of physical and mental resilience uh, mm-hmm. is clearly part of your system and is important because it 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 carries over to kind of military personnel and you know it literally could mean the difference between life or death in some situations. My experience of like military fitness is quite limited. And you mentioned earlier that you got into CrossFit when you were in Afghanistan, I think, because you had limited access to limited equipment. 
So is that true? Like the, the kind of uh, military fitness training that you went to, you know, was it very basic? Was it suitable for what you ended up doing in the field? Mm, no, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> uh, not even close. So, you know, the the whole CrossFit craze, you know, I started doing it just before I, I deployed. So around 2008 was my first introduction. And I was actually on uh, Kemi King's podcast a few weeks ago and i explained my uh my first experience essentially it was uh fran i don't know if you're familiar with the workout but it's one of the baselines and i was uh i was training with my platoon and i was the platoon sergeant at the time so i didn't want to i didn't want to look weak but i i i couldn't move for the next like four or five days i was in so much pain i was just crushing bottles of advil but you know what it was that that next level that I'd never experienced in the gym. Cause back then, like I was, I'd go to the gym and I do, you know, a few dumbbell presses some bicep curls, maybe a, maybe a squat never ever did an Olympic lift. Cause I was like, no, those are for Olympians. Like I, I don't need to do that. And, uh, so my brain just kind of went into this, like this other spot, which is a good spot for me. It's the masochistic spot. Uh, so I, the, the pain was just on another level. I was like, I love this. I got to do this again. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so then I started incorporating it when I, we brought it back to our unit and that was around 2008 and it's been really popular in, because it started in, in California. So the SEALs, the Navy SEALs, they were, they're big supporters back in the day and police and everything like SWAT, they, they, they knew about this for a while, but so that's why the military community kind of promoted it really well in the early days. And then it just kind of percolated to the rest of society because we had like an awesome, CrossFit gym at the uh, at the Canadian the Canadian main site on in Kandahar Airfield, so we had actual CrossFit instructors and stuff there, and the Americans okay. would try to come in and use our gym. We we're like, no, 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 yeah, guys, it's for Canadians only. Get the hell out of here. Um, and so you know, like from there, like we, yeah, it was it was a great way to train because it basically said like you don't need to have all the fancy equipment. You don't need to have treadmills. You don't need to have pull stations. You need like rocks and you know some heavy jerry cans you know, iron things to jump over and you can make an austere gym. And I was like, yeah, there we go. So, you know, that's kind of the way it was in Afghanistan. We didn't have all the fancy stuff, but we did have just heavy stuff to lift. And so that was, that was awesome. Like that was, you know, a big part of my training plan, but yeah, leading up to it, if I were just relying on the, the level of uh, training that we did going probably like pre-training before going over, you know, yeah, I got injured, but because I, but it wasn't for lack of, of effort. I, I, I put a ton of effort into staying fit. I just, I didn't have the, the mobility component and the flexibility component built in yet. So, but I was definitely a lot fitter. I was super, I was significantly stronger going in, uh, you know, like it was just a whole other game changer. So yeah, CrossFit has been a big part of, um, big part of my life. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be doing the open again uh, in February. Awesome. Good luck in the open. I mean, it's amazing Thanks. that you actually had a CrossFit set up in the camp in Afghanistan like, you know, with actual kind of CrossFit instructors. I didn't yeah. realize, you know. You yeah, had we had, we had, uh, I was signed up to do the, uh, they had like a, an actual event to uh, to go down, but I, I ended up get, going home before, uh, before the event took place. I was signed up and ready to go. And um, yeah, so yeah, it was pretty cool. It was like, it was CrossFit Kandahar. Yep, it's pretty cool. So, I mean, obviously your levels of fitness were dramatically changed when you came across CrossFit and then when you started implementing it and training that way. But mobility is, you know, when you look at K-Star, Kelly Starrett and his book, you know, Supple Leopard, he's had a huge impact on 
the whole kind of fitness, health and fitness industry, we you know, with his mobility ward and the con- content he's put out, mobility is not necessarily built into the CrossFit system in all kind of CrossFit boxes, uh, certainly from my understanding, because I, you know, I'm a Czech practitioner, I work in kind of corrective mm-hmm. exercise. And so I have rehabbed a few people who've been uh, a little bit brutalized by CrossFit. But that's the same as any part of any fitness industry, any gym is that they're there can be good gyms, there can be good trainers, there can be good coaches, right. and there can be less less kind of good ones. Exactly. Um, yep. Can you talk about your back injury then? And and in, in particular, so you you suffered a double disc kind of herniation, what, L4, mm-hmm. L5 or L5S1? L5S1, you got it. L5S1 whilst you were out on tour in Afghanistan. Yeah, exactly. And so obviously like just talk us through the moment like you injured yourself was that game over for you in the sense of being able to move and function <laughs> yeah uh so i uh i was out on patrol and so we were all bombed up we got all the gear and we're just we're having a rest and uh my bag was like i took my bag off my backpack off it was on the ground and you know i literally just bent over to pick up my bag and the sensation like it was it seemed so loud i was like oh shit we're under contact so we're getting we're getting shot at because there's like pack. and so i looked around but then i realized nobody's moving clearly this is something that just happened to my back and then all of a sudden it just like is all the way up like to the top of my neck almost i just started getting like super 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 tight and this weird feeling i never felt before and so i uh threw my gear on and i was like okay what am I going to do? Like I, I, I did like a kind of like a, like a, like a systems check. I was like, okay, my legs can move. Can I bend over? And I just couldn't bend over. I was just like, Oh, so I had to stay like nice and straight. And so I was able to walk thankfully. And I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to have to get uh medevac out because we weren't that far away from camp. So I was like, okay, I can, I can make this happen. So I just kind of struggled my way back to camp and then just took off all my gear, went to see the medic, got a bunch of pills and then just laid my back for a little bit. And I was like, okay, I think this is manageable. But for the rest of the tour, it was just one of those things. It was just like constantly in pain. So I was just taking basically Advils all the time. Then I just, I don't know, I was, I was still, I, I wasn't even 30 yet. So I just figured like, ah, oh, this will just go away. Like, this is probably nothing, right? And so when I got home, uh, that's when I started realizing it was starting to affect my life. Like it was having a hard time getting out of the car. It was, it was affecting my sleep. So I was like, ooh, I better do something about this. So then I started going through the process of seeing the doctors and stuff like that. So, but that, you know, the doctors, they're, they're, they're not prescribing you anything other than pills. They're, they're not telling you how to fix yourself. So I, I have this uh, scientific background. So I wanted to dive deeper and to figure out why. And, you know, like I, I was already in the CrossFit boxes, but it was really, um, you know, I, I just started talking to people. That's basically what it came down to. Um, I started seeing physiotherapists and for the first time, and then, you know, that, that kind of led me into like osteopathy as well, which has been really, uh, really beneficial. And then finally YouTube, I started checking out Kelly Starrett stuff. And that was, that was kind of when things kind of opened up and I was like, Oh, and I, I started seeing this one trainer too, who, you know, just started doing movement screens and I'd never done those before. And he's like, yeah, your ankles, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. So yeah, we started working on ankle mobility. Uh, my hip flexors were just, they're concrete. Like they just didn't move. You know, my, my piriformis, like my medial glute basically, like I, I had a relatively big butt, I guess from running, but when it came to putting like any like foam roller or anything i was going through the roof in pain because it was just it was taut it was just like a freaking piano string so it wasn't active so it wasn't 
helping me with my squats. And that's why my knees were always hurting. And I was like, oh, okay. Because like there was days I couldn't get up the stairs. That was, you know, over and above my, the fact that my back hurt. So I'm like, you know what? I guess that's just old age. I just need to accept it. But then once I started understanding like, no, you don't need to accept like chronic knee and back pain the rest of your life. Then that's when the switch happened. So, but it took me at least a year to get just my tissue kind of unstuck to finally actually be able to pop a proper squat. And so then I started to be able to actually do some, you know, more, I guess I put in more volume in the CrossFit gym. And so, yeah, the past like two years or so, I've been working with a really good coach and uh, yeah, we built a really stable frame and, you know, I was able to do handstand pushups and, you know, do kipping pull-ups and all the, all of the skills that I thought I'd never be able to do. So that was it. Yeah, that was kind of the progression. But you know what? Thankfully, and I wrote a you know a, a blog post about this. I, thankfully, I got injured because had I not got injured, I don't think I would be here. I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing right now. So it was a kind of pivotal moment in the sense that it helped you kind of help shape the sort of people that you wanted to work with and what you wanted to to do, or kind of reinforced your passion for like the training and the coaching side of things. But it sounds like you were kind of quite physically beaten up like before the age of 30 or late, late twenties with the, with the back injury. And yeah, the, the back injury, like that was, yeah, that, I, I guess that was the kind of the wake up call that I, I needed. Um, I, I wasn't taking care of myself properly. Um, especially, you know, I'm a big guy too. So, you know, six, four, usually in the two twenties. So, and I like to run. So I, and my dad too, like he's a big guy as well. And you know, his knees are just finished, but he was, he would run, man. Like he was my inspiration when I was a kid. He would just run. Like it was the eighties. Right. So, you know, he had the high white socks on the A6 rocking the freaking headbands yes. and he would just go, but his knees right now are so finished. They've been finished for 20 something plus years. He had to stop running because of it. And I was just like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess, you know, my family has bad knees. So I'll just, I'll just go down that path and I'll just be crippled, you know, for the rest of my life. I, this is, this is my lot, you know, like this is what I have to accept, but, um, that's not the case at all. So yeah, I, I, it, it's, it's been good in the sense that it's given me a lot of kind of focus and clarity and just made me realize that you don't have to just accept pain. You can, you can get through it. So for someone who's out there struggling with injury, like a debilitating injury, could be a back injury similar to yours. What sort of single piece of advice would you give them? Like, where should they start? Like, cause it, obviously from your experience, it doesn't mean it's game over. You know, you right. can get back to function, strength, proper mobility, competing right. in CrossFit. Where, where should someone start when they're struggling with that really difficult injury? <sighs> Yeah, I would say the the first thing is mindset. Uh, you you have to you have to be willing to uh, just accept the fact that you can be better, um, and you will only get better if you accept the fact that you're going to have to put the work in. Nobody else is going to do the work for you. And I think you know everybody's different, right? Uh, you know, just because I did you know a certain protocol to get myself moving and, and functional again doesn't mean it's going to work for the next individual. So it's really a learning journey. So you have to accept the fact that you're going to be a student of your own body for however long it takes to get you to the next point. And some people I think are just not willing to put in the work and would much rather pull back and just accept that they're injured. But I think at the end of the day, if you can establish that mindset where you're like, no, I'm, I refuse to, to let this define me in the sense that I'm going to be that injured guy 
you can you can definitely have a huge impact on on your body and just your your mental well being just by making that shift and accepting the fact that you have to own it and and learn about it and then fix it. Yeah, the student being a, being a student of your body, I love that uh, thought and that kind of uh, idea. You know, I, I've got a lot of experience. I've been working in the fitness industry for kind of years and done lots of kettlebell stuff and lots of, mm-hmm. kind of traditional weight training stuff. Little bit of Olympic lifting, not much, and then. I came across like gymnastic strength training and I was like, this looks awesome. This looks amazing. Mm-hmm. going to jump up on the rings, going to start to do some handstand stuff. And it's just the most humbling thing. It's like, <laughs> shit, I can't do, I can't do any of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're tall too, man. Like the gymnastics yeah. thing is, was like, you know, like I, I love getting on the rings too. Cause I, I, I feel like that, you know, that gymnast that I could never be when I was like younger. But yeah, we got to we got to realize our limitations with these long legs of ours. It's super hard. It's super hard, and it's so humbling. And like, so I I, I made a decision, you know, when I was forty, just after I turned forty, to literally, like, I had fourteen years of experience of like strong first kettlebell and kind of Czech practitioner, and just mm-hmm. you know, like, kind of knew my stuff. But I made the decision to go back to total beginner's mindset and actually relearn how to use my body and connect with my body and turn shit on that I needed to help me, you know, kind of do some basic gymnastic strength positions. And it's it's fascinating. And then from now on, I think it's because it's so humbling. It it, it teaches you a lot about the fact that you, you will always be a student of your body. Like you'll never master kind of anything. Uh, So I I love that. I love that thought. Um, Hey, I want to, sorry, I want to ask you a a question. You, uh, like with all your kettlebell stuff, you're, you're a common friend of, uh, of Sean Mosin. So did you do your, uh, did you do any training with a Gatsu, uh, over in the UK or over here? Uh, What's the story with that? No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I, I don't know how I know him. <laughs> I, I think uh, I think we're Facebook friends. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I I think it's just one of the kind of like Facebook friends. Um, <laughs> inverted commas. I, and I, I did, hadn't come across the Agatsu system. I have to say. So I'm okay. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but yeah. No, I, I went down the strong first route, the kind of Pavel Tatsalini and the kind of whole strong first, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. You know, it was, it was hardcore. Like the kind of um, the strong first level one kettlebell certification was uh, an eye opener in the sense that actually it was really hard work and. Um, you know, I had to work for it. And then it was, you know, three days of like quite brutal work. And uh, yeah, so a little bit like your experience with CrossFit, I suddenly realized a new capacity and I thought, oh, this is cool. I quite like pushing myself uh, hard. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny, like the whole kettlebell stuff. My buddy has uh, the gym here in Montreal, Gatsu Montreal. Okay. So like I've gone, in, uh, I've gone in a bunch of times and that is the hardest shit on the planet, man. Like anything with like kettlebells up, uh, you know, like, uh, and just moving with kettlebells, like either overhead or man, like when you think, oh, I'm strong, I can do this. And then all of a sudden they give you like a 12 kilo kettlebell and you got to do it like bottoms up and do a squat and you're shaking like a 12 year old girl, you know, it's just like, I, yeah. I couldn't understand that this is, you know, like this is obviously a, a, a hole in my game. So yeah, it, I, I love that kettlebell stuff. It's, it, it's a game changer for sure. It's good stuff. The, the hard style kind of system of kettlebells, which is what the, the kind of Russian hard style stuff that Pavel and they teach at Strong First is, uh, is kind of good. And it makes you makes you tough. Um, and that's mm. my first experience of that. And, you know, Dan John, the kind of uh, the strength coach, Dan John, he, you know, led the, the certification I did. And if, if you don't know him, go and check out his stuff. He's awesome. He's an American kind of like, I think he's a religious education, religious studies teacher. And an amazing strength coach, like a world-class strength coach as well, mm. kind of on the side. 
and so he led the um the level one kettlebell certification i did with strong first and it was amazing he was super humble he was really cool and yeah he he has this concept of armor building uh the fact that certain type certain movements uh usually nasty ones usually ones that start with bulgarian <laughs> like <laughs> no, um, yeah yeah certain kettlebell yeah. movements and certain olympic barbell movements are are kind of armor building and they're particularly good for contact athletes and I think that's the one thing I got most from like kettlebells is when you start to do double kettlebell work with heavy kettlebells, yeah, you suddenly learn where those weak links are and if your shoulders are dysfunctional and imbalanced. And anyway, I don't, I'll get carried away. I could talk about that kind of first. <laughs> on, on our next podcast, on our next podcast. <laughs> I, 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 I barely touch kettlebells now. It's like all body weight and gymnastic strength, but um, it was an amazing sort of stage. Um, how would you feel if your son or son's uh, wanted to follow in your footsteps and join the army, join the military. It's funny. I just had this conversation with my wife. Uh, well, no, I, I definitely encourage it, but it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that, uh, they might enjoy it. Uh, you know, I, I want them to follow their own path. Uh, obviously, you know, part of the, part of the reason why I joined was, uh, my grandfather fought in the second world war and I always, I didn't get to know him because he passed away when I was four. So the, you know, the stories I heard and like, I have his medals and all that stuff. And it was just part of that kind of a mythology around the family, I guess. And so I just, I guess I wanted to, I wanted to honor that and, and see if I could do it as well. So undoubtedly they're going to be interested, I'm sure with all the military stuff I have lying around. Will they join? I, I don't know. But at the end of the day, if they do, I, you know, I'll, I'll be supportive. I, I would like them, though, to follow a different path. And, you know, like I left as an officer, but I think I should have I think I should have commissioned earlier. And, uh, you know, if I was going to do it again, I probably would have gone to um, like uh, you guys have at uh, Sandhurst. But for us, it's Royal Military College. I, I should have gone. I think I should have gone that route and, um, you know, probably made a career of it. So if that's, you know, what they, I'll, I'll definitely make that suggestion to them that maybe they should uh, consider becoming a, you know, commissioned officer right out, right out of the gate and, and uh, get your, get your education from, you know, one of the, one of the better schools in Canada. Um, but, you know, we'll see, maybe they'll, they'll just want to be like a mud thumper like me and like dig holes and trenches and stuff like that and <laughs> shoot guns, you know, <laughs> who knows, who knows? I'll, I'll try and dissuade them though. I'll try to get them into a more technical trade, I think, so that when they leave, they'll have a, a few more skills. Uh, when they leave uh, the army, but rather than just uh, you know being resilient, but also being resilient and have you know some sort of technical ability. Who inspires you, Dave, in your life? Like who inspires you in the fitness world, but also who inspires you kind of outside the fitness world? It could be like a family member, you know, it could be a teacher, it could be anybody. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, uh, definitely in the fitness world, there's a few guys that like in the CrossFit uh, world that. I admire uh, Patrick Vellner. He's a um, Canadian athlete. He was second in the games last year and the year before too, I think. He's just an overall great dude. You know, like he's kind of like the face of, I think, uh, CrossFit going forward um, just because he's just that humble kind of uh, athlete that can really, uh, you know, he, he's just easy to easy to talk to. And I, I think that the fact that, he, you know, he's a, um, he's a chiropractor as well. He's just, he's kind of got it all kind of figured out. So I think he's a, he's a really good role model in that sense. Um, you know, in life in general, who inspires me? Oh, well, obviously I should, I obviously Kelly Starrett, um, just on the, the fitness side of thing. I just think he's, uh, he's got it figured out. He's just able to use the, the YouTube medium before anybody was uh, using it effectively to start that whole mobility conversation, which was wicked. And he focused on the long game, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So 
giving value for free for like 365 days of episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, that was, I think that was the first, well, he's probably one of the first guys to do that. Like just, he just broke a lot of ground on that front. And you know, that the, the value that that's going to provide, you know, for forever, it, that's huge, you know, and it was all for free. And so yeah, that was, that was huge uh for sure and you know who inspires me uh geez you know like you know in my life you know you go through different stages you know like i've got i've got some really like i've really got a really solid group of friends and so just in general i think the the i get a lot of inspiration from them a lot of them are veterans as well and i think just being able to bounce ideas off of them and you know knowing about their successes and their their failings it's been super, super, super important for me to be able to actually take that step forward. So if I were to say there's a specific individual that inspires me, um, I don't think I'd be able to just pinpoint them, but definitely the, the, the network I have of really close friends has been, I can't put a price on that. That has been probably the most important and most inspirational pool I, I have. And so I, I lean on them pretty, pretty heavily. And, you know, whether they know it or not, they, they're really important to me and, you know, to my success so far. So for busy, for busy people out there, you know, nowadays, everyone is busy, but particularly kind of business owners, entrepreneurs, people with jobs, people with lives, everyone's on, on the go and in a rush. You know, one thing that the people I've worked with on nutrition have struggled with is breakfast. People seem to really struggle with healthy yeah. breakfast options. So yeah. like, what's your, what's your kind of favorite breakfast? And do you have any secrets or kind of like suggestions that people can use who they're in a hurry and they need quality nutrition, but they need to kind of, it needs to be time efficient. So here's my uh, heretical moment of the day. I, uh, I no longer really eat breakfast and that's uh, been part of, I guess, my, my shift as well over the last year. Yeah. It just comes down to, I, I feel a lot better just starting eating around 11 o'clock. And I always just used to cram food down my throat every morning and like when i was training hard you know me and my wife and my wife does crossfit as well so and she's strong as shit too so uh she eats man and you know we'd be we'd be we go to like the farmer's market and we'd get 120 eggs and that would last us mm, i guess a month if that and because you know i'd be eating four or five eggs every morning with a few strips of bacon you know like half a half a melon and probably a, like a cup and a half of oatmeal. And that was just like starting, you know, so that, and so I would show up to work usually and I would be, you know, by around 10 o'clock, surprisingly, I'd be like, oh, I'm hungry again. But, you know, every morning I would have about, you know, 800 to 900 calories. That's not even including coffee and cream and everything like that. So uh, granted, granted, that was, you know, that, that was when I was eating a substantial amount in the morning, now I just shift it all to around. So I'm basically doing intermittent fasting from 11 to eight. But, you know, for me, if I'm, I am going to have something in the morning, I find a stomach, um, a really, really nutrient dense smoothie. That's usually my go-to now. So, um, I actually did a post on it. Uh, and, uh, I'm pretty sure it's on my YouTube channel. It's essentially, um, you know, a, a, a vegan based, protein powder. So I use a vegan protein powder and I throw in as much high nutrient density foods as possible. So like blueberries, kale or spinach, um, you know, I'll throw in a bit of avocado and, you know, I usually throw in some almond milk unsweetened 
And from there, you know, I throw in like a bunch of different seasonings. I usually throw in uh, cinnamon um, and spices. So I'll, I'll throw in um, turmeric as well, a bit of pepper, just to kind of boost that level of uh, uh, antioxidants that are in the um, that are in the mix. And then I blend that up, and then I'm good. Uh, so I, I don't tend to usually eat my bacon eggs in the morning. Maybe on a weekend every now and then, because that's by far my favorite. I could eat bacon fried fried eggs and bacon hands down. Like you give me that, I could eat that every meal of the day if you want like it's it's just so good for me but um yeah I, i've really pulled back on my breakfast eating but definitely if i'm, I'm going to have a have a breakfast it's definitely that uh, that high in nutrient density smoothie cool thank you for sharing that so you you basically follow intermittent fasting which is uh yeah you know um a lot of people use successfully including yeah. myself do you do you kind of follow the 16 8 exactly uh, protocol exactly exactly i do 16 8 uh, every now like i've done two full 24-hour fasts just to try it out and surprisingly, I felt great. Uh, I wasn't sure how it was going to go down because I've been a slave to hunger for so long. Uh, being a big dude and, you know, high school, once that started, it was just like, I can't eat enough. And I was super skinny. And then, you know, I got older, I put on more weight, um, you know, I put a lot more muscle mass and I was still hungry. And it would just be every day, I'd just be wondering, where's my next meal coming from? You know, like I, <laughs> anytime I, I left the house, I would be like, okay, do I have enough? food in my backpack so that i can get through the day because as soon as i started getting hungry i'm like that's it i'm done like i have to find something you know it's like my body couldn't accept being slightly hungry and that idea of being hungry means you're chewing up muscle mass yeah which like that was that was my biggest fear i'm like oh i'm gonna lose my gains i'm gonna lose I'm, my gains i'm shrinking i'm shrinking i'm shrinking yeah it's like <laughs> evolution evolution made us to shrink immediately at the first sign of stress you know like i, I was smarter <laughs> than that like i should have known better but you know what like it just that and that's only been in the last year that's only been in the last year that i've accepted the fact that yeah i can go i can go train a bit hungry i can i can go a day without eating and i'm not losing muscle mass surprisingly and i feel great so that's been a big shift this is one of the secrets to energy management as well and i think when people are caught up on that blood sugar roller coaster of perhaps mm. like a carb heavy diet mm. and just getting calories in you get hungry you know you eat you eat like eight eight nine hundred calories for breakfast but then by 10 a.m you're hungry again yeah. it's weird and the idea of fasting is scary because you think i'm just going to be absolutely starving my experience is this is a real secret to energy is when you get clients stable, they get their blood sugar handling stable, suddenly they are so much more energized and then they can intermittent fast and don't even notice. And mm -hmm. the blood sugar is very, very stable and they don't get those crashes, those troughs, that, that mm -hmm. kind of, and the peaks of the blood sugar. So yeah, I think um, it's cool. Intermittent fasting, definitely, you know, there's a lot of information out there about it. So if people want to find out where to start, they can go and look up the 16-8 the protocol. My business partner being Italian, he's done a lot of intermittent fasting. And he was talking to one of his Italian colleagues about it. And the guy just looked at him and said, so you skip breakfast then? I, <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, the intermittent fasting is a proper scientific technical term. And there's lots of research into it. But essentially, it's skipping breakfast. And I, I love that. I think that's... Uh, <laughs> which is like, yeah, which is like every other European country I've been to. It's like, that's how it goes. Like my, I remember my first time in Paris, I got up in the morning and, you know, I was like, oh, we're going to do for breakfast. And like, you know, the, the girl I was staying with was like, um, no, we're just going to have a coffee. I was like, oh, no. I'm like, oh, no, we need to find, we need to find some eggs. <laughs> what do you mean? We're not going to eat breakfast, you know? And then I just kind of got used to it when I was in Europe for a little bit. And I realized, you know, like... It's funny when I go to like other countries and they say like, oh, English breakfast here. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I guess nobody else eats breakfast. Like nobody has like 
eggs and bacon and stuff like that. It's only like the English. And I guess that got transported over here to Canada because like we're huge for breakfast and brunch here. Like that is like the meal of the day. So it's just funny to see the differences. In France, it's probably like coffee and a cigarette. <laughs> it's literally what it is. It's literally a coffee and a cigarette on the looking out like on your on your like porch, just yeah. smoking away. I was like, oh, it's a cool life. Uh, yeah, it's great. You know, like not only the coffee increases your metabolism, and then the the cigarette takes away the the urge to to want to eat. It's perfect. So they got it all figured out over there. <laughs> so we um, in our little system we have in our business, um, we 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 help businesses and brands kind of tell a better story and we we've done a lot of study into the structure of story and like the classical kind of hero's journey and one part of that is what we call lighting the beacons and this is where you you outline a system or a pathway that takes someone from you know point a to point b and so what i want to ask you is with your system for coaching veterans and helping improve health and fitness for veterans and mindset First of all, do you have a system? And second of all, can you outline your process in like three to five steps? So can you, if for someone listening who wants to kind of get started and just like take the first steps in improving their health, their fitness, if they're a veteran, they want to become, you know, kind of more resilient. If they're an active service person, they want to become, you know, hard to kill. Mm-hmm. Can you give them the three to five key steps that you would, you put someone through? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Every one of my clients has to read the, at a bare minimum the first chapter of The Power of Habit. So it's a book by Charles Duhigg, so that they have an understanding of how habits are formed in your brain. And that is really uh, important for carrying on uh, my program because I build upon those habits that you need to establish um, either weekly or biweekly. And so without that knowledge, it's 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 a bit harder to establish a new habit because you don't realize why your habit's not actually um, sticking. So um, I have every client needs to really write down what their main goal is and then break that main goal into a series of ever smaller steps to the point where it's almost impossible for you not to actually achieve that super small step. And so that's how we build in quick wins. And so once you get those quick wins, then you can move forward. So the phases that I have after you've established that and you've established your goals and you understand how habits work is I basically call it the triple triple Bravo system. So the first one is um, the breakdown. So all the baselines. So what's your um, nutritional baseline? So a three-day habit and do a a nutrition journal for three days. And then it's all the uh, PT baselines. So really simple stuff. Uh, 2.4k run, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, um, and um, then there's a, a muscle endurance workout in there as well. And so that'll give just everybody their their idea of like, okay, where am I starting from? Because you can throw in all kinds of different exercises, but at the end of the day, like if you notice that your push-up volume um, is going up, your sit-up volume has gone up, your pull-up volume has gone up, um, and you know you can do a few more squats. Well, hey, uh, you're improving, obviously. So that's the baseline I kind of I always work with. And then after that, after your your first initial breakdown, then it's the build up. So we start adding some more volume into the week. So therefore, I use a ton of functional movement uh, exercises. So I know that's like the buzzword these days. Everything's functional if you're moving, but essentially we're doing things um, that are multi joint. So either weighted or or, or not. 
but at the end of the day, uh, the goal is to, is to get to a weighted exercise. So an example of that would be like a thruster. Uh, I love thrusters. They're super, super, super um, efficient at, um, you know, a uh, building uh, muscle endurance, but also for uh, just getting the engine running. Like you do seven minutes of thrusters, man, you, you, that's all you need to do during the day. You're done. Um, so uh, that, that's, a, that's a great way to uh, increase them. Um, you know, work capacity in a very short period of time, especially for people that have like really busy schedules. And then after you've done kind of that initial or that, that second phase, which is the buildup phase, then we, I call it the breakout phase. So that's where individuals really start working on some speed, a bit more agility, going into, you know, working on power and to try building even more uh, volume and to get those those compound movements, uh, those that we built earlier, um, with a little bit more weight, a little bit more, a little bit more intensity so that, um, most guys, cause it's mostly guys that I train, uh, want to get, uh, leaner and put on more muscle mass. So, you know, in order to do that, we need to stimulate growth and, and, and tax the muscles and the central nervous system. So that's kind of how we do it. So it's a gradual approach, but essentially you need to start from the basics and just start with your habits and then build upon those habits and slowly build in volume because we have to remember a lot of us too are, are coming here with, with injuries. So we need to focus in on a lot of things like uh, core stability and like midline stability and making sure that your posterior, your chain is, can handle a, a strong enough load. Uh, you know, so all these things come into play. Uh, but definitely those, those three phases are the key to, to getting back in the, back in the game. I love it. The triple Bravo system. So yeah. break down, build up, break out. So essentially break down assessments. Build up is building the solid foundation, the base. Mm-hmm. And breakout is like kind of specialization in some ways into different biomotor abilities. And it sounds like a really clear path. Thrusters. I've done kettlebell thrusters. So yep. a bit like a squat push press. Is that right? Or is exactly. that something? Exactly. That's exactly it. And they are brutal. That's a, <laughs> it's a hardcore exercise. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, you, you, even if you grab, let's say, you know, just a, just a 45 pound dumbbell or barbell or, you know, two 15 pound dumbbells or kettlebells, whatever you want to use, whatever is in your wheelhouse for your ability. If you do seven minutes of those, boof. Yeah, it's it's game over for the day. Like you're done. Like you're you're so exhausted that you can't do anything else. So usually that's just like one. That's like you know you do your warm up and then all right, let's get into your seven minute uh, as many as many reps as possible in seven minutes. You know, obviously you can take a break in seven minutes, but yeah, it's a good it's a good um, it's kind of one of those baseline assessments that I like using to see uh, how many reps you can get in with what weight. So then when you test it back, you know, in a few weeks time or a month's time, you'll definitely see an improvement, and it's it's good to see as well. Awesome. That sounds like a really clear system. Uh, I, lo- I love the way you've kind of set it out there. Um, you seem to be really moving forward with your business, with your career, with your coaching. And as I said at the beginning, you're attacking things on all fronts, building up momentum. What's what's next for you? What are your kind of goals or targets for the next six to 12 months? Yeah. Uh, so I've got, a, I've got a really kind of big plan to start doing uh, one day and then eventually a whole weekend uh, training seminar. Uh, I guess it would be more of a more of a, a proving ground kind of thing um, for those individuals that want to go to the next level uh, with respect to their um, you know military careers or police careers. So what that means is kind of putting them through hell for about a day or two uh, to see what they got. Uh, you know, whether they went through my my training plan or not, ideally it'd be the, the individuals that have all gone through my um, through my training plan. 
but that's kind of where I want to go. I want to get into the, the seminar game. I want to be more active um, in the units all around Montreal and uh, get integrated into other aspects of uh you know, fitness and health within the veteran community. So I really want to uh, tie myself into some of the um, veteran organizations that help with mental health and um, that provide service for veterans free um, of cost to not only just work on the mental health side of things, but also work on the, the you know, the fitness side of things. And the fact that, it, you know, that I'm working in a remote style business, you know, access to these individuals um, and, and providing them a training plan and actually physically like, well, not literally being there next to them, but being able to, to monitor their progress a lot better than even when I was, you know, just a, a, a regular, so to speak, personal trainer where I, you know, do one-on-one sessions where I can actually monitor your progress throughout the week and then have a coaching call at the end of the week, I think is we don't have that system here in Canada yet. I want to be kind of at the forefront of that. So I'm, I'm pitching myself to two organizations right now and it, it's looking pretty good. And I'm hoping that that takes off as well. So, um, yeah, I can be a, a really uh, big force of change within the, the veteran community. And the kind of mental, the mind, the body fitness goes so hand in hand. And I imagine for veterans, it's absolutely key, you know, because yeah. if you're struggling with mental health issues, uh, kind of post-traumatic stress, anything like that, it's amazing the capacity that fitness has to to help heal the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like ASICs, right? Anima sano and corpore sano. Like that's that's kind of the basis to like how I've I've always approached fitness. If I don't if I don't do it, I I call the downward spiral of shit. If I don't train, <laughs> <laughs> I get I get grumpy and depressed, and then I like it's it's amazing how powerful your mind is. As soon as I go get up in the morning, look in the mirror, I'm like I'm fat. And it's been like, you know, maybe it's been three days that I didn't, I didn't stay hard and, and stay, and, and stay on, stay on the path and, and, and get some solid workouts in. And it's amazing. It's just like, oh, I'm fine. And then like that just throws me off the rest of the day. And it's, it's amazing how powerful that is. So, you know, if you can get in just a little bit during the day and then build a little bit more the next day, it's so good for your, your mental state, you know, especially guys too, right? Like at least myself. You know, we've got that little bit of vanity and we'll look in the mirror and be like, oh, my biceps are a little bigger. Like I look sick today. I'm going to wear my tight shirt today. You know, you look good, feel good, do good. That's kind of the, the premise behind it. So that, that, that's really interesting. You know, the, the, it leads me into an area of the kind of uh, the health and fitness industry that I'm kind of passionate about what I call like the dark side of the health and fitness industry. Mm. And, you know, like the fact that you said, that, you know, maybe look in the mirror, you haven't trained for three days and you feel, hey, I'm getting fat. Uh, right. It kind of it's linked into that kind of I haven't eaten breakfast, so my body's shrinking, you know, if you haven't eaten <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, but I think the dark side is that, that all of these kind of plastic fake people on Instagram who are putting a hell of a lot of pressure on men and women to look a certain way, and it's unrealistic to be like 3 to 5% body fat mm-hmm. year in, year out, oh, and yeah. have no body hair, <laughs> and just look, <laughs> look like Action Man <laughs> or Barbie doll. How do you feel about that side of the health and fitness industry? Because, yeah, we all want to look good and it's hugely important. But for me, if you focus on building true health from the inside, actually one of the secondary benefits, like the side effects, is that you look fucking awesome as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you, And you exude a certain confidence as well that, you know, you can see it on somebody's face. And, you know, at the the end of the day, uh, fitness is kind of like a, a, a means for me to live my life to my full potential and anybody that's successful if you look at their bios like they, they all take fitness very seriously and their bodies are meant to move i don't you know it's been a dream of mine that's been long gone to have you know like a rock solid rip six pack 
I don't need that. I I like being able to compete in my, you know, my my competitions every now and then, you know, I have CrossFit and then like I I, I play some Irish sports as well. I, I do Gaelic football. And so I, if I can have the ability to keep on doing that uh, for the foreseeable future, I'm good. Like I, I don't, what, what more do I need? And, you know, the idea of being hard to kill, I, I like keeping that in mind as well. I like being able to think that I can protect my family or my community if need be. So how, how much fitness do I need to have? And yeah, like you said, like three to 5% body fat, like I, I'll never maintain that. Like we're dads, unless I'm going out for a model shoot, how would I, or why would I ever want to do that? So yeah, the idea that you have to look a certain way, can definitely have an impact. And for me, it does because like I grew up uh, when I was a kid, I was, I was a chubby kid. So that chubby kid mindset is like in deep recesses of my mind. But like, I know I look all right. You know, like my wife says I look good. What more do I need? You know, I, I don't need that vanity check, but it is good every now and then to see it, you know, your work, hard work paying off. And so, yeah, the idea that you got to be super ripped. And I think that's, you know, that body dysmorphia on um, uh, syndrome that is now, you know, it, it used to be thought like, oh, oh it's only girls that are uh, going to be worried about being skinny and having the perfect body. But now guys, like I taught in all boys school, like it's definitely something because they're constantly bombarded, like you said, with these images of guys with massive arms, you know, uh, and they're just, that is what these guys do. And I think that's a lot of times lost on a lot of, a lot of guys. These guys look this way because that is literally all they do. That's how they put lunch on the table so if you're willing to make those sacrifices to get there okay cool but that's what you're going to do you're not going to look like that by doing a few you know bicep curls in the gym and so yeah especially with young guys i think it it has a really big impact on their self-esteem and how they they look at fitness and then also it can also lead down to like taking some sketchy supplements so you know (laughs) that's you know like okay well um you know my 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 buddy he's an awesome cat. He's a, a, you know, he's a call. He was a colleague of mine at school. He's a rugby coach. And, um, he would say, Oh, you gotta take BHW. And I was even like, what the hell is BHW? It's like bloody hard work. He's like, that's the only, that's the only supplement you need, son. I was like, yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, BHW supplement, but that's yeah. So for the veteran community, like same thing comes, comes to mind, you know, granted most of us are, are a bit older. Um, and you know, we're other dads or, you know, we've been, we've been through enough life experience that we're not looking to look amazing. We're looking to feel amazing. And so that, that shift is, is, is crucially important. So, you know, we don't have to have a a regime that really focuses on, on, you know, dissolving, you know, uh, you know, 15% body fat down to two, 3%. But what we do need to work on is your, you know, eating habits so that you can maintain a, a, you know, a, a, a good nutrient balance throughout the day and, you know, maintain cra- and, and reduce cravings and just maintain a stable weight. So that's, that's a, a bit difference. Yeah. I think it's an important conversation and it's important for people outside the industry to understand that, you know, it's unrealistic to get down to three to 5% body fat and kind of maintain it. So listen, Dave, we started off, uh, you know, near the beginning, you gave us your definition of what average is. I want to, I want to finish by asking you, what is your personal definition of success? Yeah, uh, that's an awesome question. So <laughs> when I look at my my life and I see it down the, uh, down the line, I will consider myself uh, successful in the future if uh, A, I can run hard with my grandkids, uh, B, I'm able to devote a substantial amount of my time to charitable causes that I see as worthy. Um, 
namely in the education uh, realm, which I, you know, obviously have a, like I have a stake in, in that. And I, it's been my passion for, for a very long time. And, and just having, you know, a, a really, really full table of my family, wherever it may be, whether it's here or, you know, in some warm European country in February or whatever it may be, but I want to have my family around me and supporting everybody else and, and, um, being able to, to enjoy the, the fruits of our labor and, you know, our successes together. Uh, that's for me, that that's the ultimate sign of success. You just have the ability to just always have your, your, your family around, uh, and, uh, everybody in the family being successful because we're, we're working together, um, and using our, you know, our, our, our collective skills to be, uh, the best that we can be. So, you know, that's kind of what I'm striving for, you know, that to have that freedom requires a lot of hard work and, you know, to be fit requires a lot of hard work down the road. Um, so in the short term, definitely the success comes from, um, seeing, um, uh, you know, not just my business grow, but also, um, building more and more and more contacts. I, I, I really, I really enjoy talking to other human beings, you know, like the fact that we're talking, uh, you know, an ocean away, this is amazing for me. So the more of these I can do that it's basically a sign that, you know, I'm, I'm being successful and the happier and, um, you know, the more time uh, I get to spend with my wife and, and, and kids and growing family, to me, that, that that's a, that's an ultimate sign of success because I, I think like all the money in the world uh, doesn't mean that you're necessarily successful if you can't enjoy it with the people you love the most. So yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a sign of success for me. Beautiful, Dave Morrow. I know that you are here to make an impact. You're here to help veterans, and you're here to help people ultimately to to be hard to kill. Um, just remind us when is the book Nimble Warrior out? When can people get their copy? Yeah, so. Uh, I don't have a I don't have a firm date just yet. Like I said, it's uh, it's off to the publisher this week. Uh, they said three weeks, so that would make it uh, mid February. Should be up um, on Amazon, and it'll be up on my uh, my website as well. And like I said, it'll be uh, in the iBook store. So I'll be sure to uh, promote that and, and make sure that your listeners and uh, and everybody in my uh, my circle of influence uh, can get their hands on a copy. And so uh, apart from Amazon and the usual channels, where can people go to get their copy? Can they go to your website? Yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be promoting it through my website. So my website is davemorrow.net and uh, yeah, I'll send you the link there and you can post it in the show notes and uh, yeah, it'll be in the, uh, it'll be in my, uh, in my shop in the, uh, on the website. Cool. And in general, how can people out there who want to hear more, they want to find out more about you, they want to interact with you. How can they find you in the digital world? Yeah, right. So I use Facebook a lot. So Dave Morrow PT, you can find my, uh, my business page there. Uh, you can also find me as Dave Morrow on Facebook on Instagram as well. Dave Morrow PT and my website is Dave Morrow.net. And you can uh, send me a line there and you can subscribe to my, uh, my, uh, my site and get all my, uh, my blog posts and uh, other little, uh, other little treats that come out uh, when I publish them from the website. Perfect. And I will put links to all of these in the show notes as well. Um, anything you want to leave the lovely listeners with any thoughts or uh, have we covered it all? Oh, geez. Oh, this was awesome. Honestly, like I, uh, I, I, I've really, uh, I guess embraced like my, uh, my uh my i wouldn't say my english side but my uk side um in the last like two months and uh you know like i'd love i'd love to have more of a following in the uk uh and you know if anybody wants to drop me a line that would be 
awesome. Um, and you know what? I, if I can make it out to the UK at some point uh, again this summer uh, in the near future, uh, that would be that would be awesome. Maybe we could do a kettlebell workout. But uh, that's uh, yeah, that's uh, that's to be seen in the future for sure. Let's do an let's do an event. Let's get an event going in the summer. Listen, Dave. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. You've been really generous with your time. Um, we've we've gone deep in in some kind of uh, very fascinating and kind of personal areas. And so I just want to say thank you very much for for doing this interview. And I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Ollie. Really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, hope to talk soon. <laughs>